Hi everyone, Philip Brooks here. Today is going to be an excellent show with Dr. Andrew Mullins, speaking about raising children with character. I just want to give you a heads up that the interview has a few audio issues. It's just due to the poor signal quality of the Zoom call, but I hope you can bear with us. They only last in short bursts, and there is too much gold in this episode not to share it with you, despite these issues. So sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome to another Perusia Hour. I'm Shabal Race, your host, and my co-host, Mark Griffin, is with me today. G'day, Mark. How's things? Good, Shabal. Good to be with you. We haven't done one of these together for a while, just with the, the circumstances, so it's, it's good. So we're not entirely together, but it's good to be with you on the broadcast, at least. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Yeah, it's been different with this whole lockdown, um, being in separate places now, but we pray that uh, we'll get to uh, uh, be able to get out and about very soon, so we, we'll pray for that. Uh, we're very excited to announce... Um, the launch of a classic book, uh, Parenting uh, for Character. And those who have seen this around over the years uh, will be familiar with it, particularly, you know, um, through the Catholic Weekly, there was a weekly article from this book. Um, uh, the Par Ed School has been promoting it. Um, and it's now recently been revised and we're, we're pleased to announce that Perusia is now publishing this book. Uh, the author of that book is none other than Andrew Mullins and he's with us today on this podcast. And I'd like to welcome him now. Hello, Andrew. Shabelle, good on you, mate. Great to have you here. Yes, good to see you. Good to see you visually. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Um, it's great having the technology now. We can see each other from wherever we are. You're in uh, Melbourne at the moment. Uh, that's we're right. in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. yeah brilliant. Uh, we uh, first got to know each other through Redfield, the college, um, and that's how I uh, met you as headmaster at Redfield College. Uh, and I think Mark, uh, very similar as well. Um, <laughs> Mark, you have the terrible misfortune to be interviewing your former principal. That's correct. Yeah, it's, it's similar, but it's different, Shabelle. I've got the unique experience of being a former student. So and right. I started at Redfield back in uh, 1992. Um, and Andrew, you were not the headmaster at that point, but I wasn't uh, 96, 97. You took over as headmaster. Am I, am I close 90, to the number? Yeah, 96. Yeah, yeah. And then right to the end of my school time here, you were the headmaster. So. Yeah, it's 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 different to be uh, on an interview with your former headmaster. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'd like to um, yeah, before diving into this book, which is it's just such a great book, um, so many practical tips and and great research behind it. Before diving into that and 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 the reasons for why you wrote the book, I'd like to get give our listeners and viewers a bit of an insight of uh, a background of yourself, um, a bit about. Um, maybe a bit about your upbringing, your um, faith background, and then how you then led to writing this book. So could we start about who is Andrew Mullins? Good on you, mate. Um, yeah, so I grew up in the eastern suburbs of Sydney yep. uh, in Randwick and um, went to a Marsh Brothers school there, Marcelin, and um, and I really, you know, I probably the first, the first thing to confess is I was a teacher by accident because I, I sat in Hyde Park and I ticked a box when you had to decide what course at the university you were going to. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I ticked architecture. And I spent some time in architecture and enjoyed it. But then I'd been helping to run a, a activity for young guys, a club for kids. And, um, and the guy that was running that was a teacher. And I found him very inspirational. I suppose I started thinking about teaching at that stage. And... Um, and, uh, and, yeah, my teaching career initially was, was pretty interesting. I was in the uh, difficult areas of Sydney. I was at a new little school called Middle High School, which had been in the news because um, of a great fracas with the other local high school. And, um, and the kids there, I, I don't think I've ever taught kids who were more, in a sense, grateful but more difficult to handle. It was, it was very interesting. I passionate into teaching. And then from there I went to the northern beaches of Sydney to World High and spent five years teaching English and drama there. And then uh, Frank Monigal, no, before that I went to a, a selective school in Cogra for two years. And then Frank Monigal, who was the founding principal of Redfield, uh, who, I, who was a friend, came to see me and he said, why don't you join us? So I joined Frank and Gary Teller and we were the first three teachers at Redfield. In fact, there were only two and a half teachers at Redfield because I was on half-time. Yeah. And um, and uh, it was a 
I remember vividly talking to the principal at, at the school at Sydney Tech at Cogra and, um, and he tried to talk me out of it. He thought it was just a, a venture that would fail and it's beautiful now to see how successful the schools have been. So that's sort of the, that's how I got into teaching and how Redfield came about, I suppose. Um, I spent 15 years as the principal of Redfield and then I went from Redfield to Waller, my college in the west of Sydney and spent five, four years there. And then most recently for the last five years, I've been working with university students down in Melbourne. I, in my last few years at Redfield, I started at Redfield a doctorate in um, philosophy and neuroscience and um, finished that in 2012 when I was at Wallamai. And basically that doctorate focused on what happens in our brains when we build character, when we build virtue. And obviously there's, you need a lot of philosophy behind that because otherwise you just end up with the impression that human beings are sophisticated machines and uh, of course we're free and we can set our own goals and so on. So you need both philosophy and neuroscience in order to talk about that type of topic. It's a sad thing, but many of the, many of the um, neuroscientists in the world at the moment uh, are, f are, in a sense, materialists. They, they just think that human beings are made up of currents and chemicals and, and processes and systems in the brain, and that's it. And um, so it's very hard to talk about character in those terms. Um, now... I'm down in Melbourne. I'm working with university students a lot of the time. Uh, a very big influence on my life has been St. Hazemaria Escriva, who's the founder. Um, and certainly I'm doing my best to push things along down here in terms of Catholic formation. Um, but, gee, it's good to have this teamwork with Perusia Media, mate. <laughs> it's a delight. <laughs> it's been great. I guess, yeah, you were, you were as you're going through your career there and, and during your time as Headmaster Redfield, you saw... Um, very much the early days of Perusia and, and uh, I can make it known here. Our very first public international event was here at Redfield and you were there. You were there at the very first Perusia um, event with Tim Staples and we had it out in the, in the courtyard. I have such a nice memory of that, of that courtyard gathering. You might not remember this and I won't give any names, but there was a, a great young man from Redfield who was in the audience. He'd just left school. And Tim Staples had given this talk on Christian marriage and Adam and Eve. And, and then this young man whose parents are sitting on the other side of the gathering and he's up in the front row on one side, he puts up his hand and says, Mr Staples, that was a wonderful talk. And you've got to understand that he's there and many of his friends are there and so he's bearing his soul. He says, Mr Staples, that was a wonderful talk. I hear you talking about marriage and I just want to get married. I just want to meet the girl of my dreams. How do I meet the girl of my dreams? <laughs> Tim Staples gives a beautiful answer. He talks about how he met his wife in the most providential circumstances. And then, uh, and then, he, and then he says to him, he says, you can understand that Jesus wants you to meet the girl of your dreams more than you do. So it's really important for you to ask him every day to introduce you to her. And then I'm sure I'm sure he's done that, and I'm sure he's been successful. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> but, no, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, but uh, yeah, I I, um, I do want to talk about. Is this this is uh, your first book? Um, is that correct? Was there any other uh, projects you had before this? No, it's ironic. I have written. I've 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 got another book. I hope in the pipeline very soon, which is about passing on your faith in in okay. parents. But um. But uh, I'd written another. I'd written another manuscript actually, and I went to the the initial publisher of that book, Rex Finch, and and I and I showed him what I had, and he was quite interested in it. But in the end, we talked and talked, and out of that evolved Parenting for Character, so which okay. is quite different to what the original manuscript was. But Parenting for Character originally was based on um, presentations to the parents at Redfield. Okay. So it was it was it's really a summary of what. Over years, we felt were the key messages to keep in circulation with parents. So it's a very practical book. It's interesting that it was based on um, your interactions with the parents at the school because I know one of the features of Redfield and the Par Ed schools is the, the recollections that you have, whether it be for the parents, for the fathers, for the mothers individually, or they've even had the old boys' recollections as well where you sit down with um, reflections from, from the chaplain and then a, a speaker would present. And I know that um, when I was attending the old boys' recollections, it was always 
it was a really relaxing evening, I have to say, and, and to come and, and, and take part in that and the confessions available and to go and hear. And it was always very relaxing sitting, listening to you because your delivery was very calm and measured and, and such a common sense approach. So it's interesting to hear that that's actually the basis of of the book. And, and from experiencing those, I highly recommend anyone that can get to those recollections to continue doing those as they're available. But this is, if you like, the text version of those. So, so that's quite well, encouraging. I mean, so because remember that the schools, the, pa the Parents for Education schools, I suppose their great reputation is they work close with parents mm -hmm. and they have a mentoring program as well. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the mentoring program and, the, and the, um, the close association with the parents have to work very closely. I mean, the school doesn't have a right to set its own agenda for the kids. So what we need to do is to talk with the parents and make sure that then the mentoring program, the mentor in each case, has very clear goals that the parents have discussed. And, um, so, you know, the reality is that over the years, I mean, there have been literally hundreds and hundreds of parent functions where we've spoken to parents to assist them in their parenting. And there have been, um, I think, how many thousands of interviews I've had with parents. Um, I shouldn't say, I hate to think the reality is it's been a delight to have so many close friends amongst the parents. But um, typically every year there would, maybe I would have had 200 interviews with parents. So, you add those up over, over 25 years at Redfield and you realise, gee, there's a lot of content there in terms of understanding how parents and families are working. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, actually, I, something really interesting you said just at the start of that response was that the school doesn't have the right to set the agenda um, for, for how the children are educated. And that's drawing right back on, on this understanding that the parents are the, the primary educators of their children. Yeah, it's a really important, it's a really important issue. And so... It's obviously important for schools like the Parents for Education schools to uh, put out clearly what they're doing and why they're doing it and say, please, if you agree with this, come and join us. So you get uh, a like-minded group of people who are on the same wavelength, who are going in the same direction, who have the same vision that they want their kids to be raised with character and with faith. And, and not all the families in the school are Catholic, but, you know, the great majority are, and the, the ones who are not Catholic have explicitly said that they're very happy for their kids to be raised in a Catholic environment. So um, there's a lot to be said for gathering together with like-minded people and creating a village, if you like, for your kids to grow up in. Um, um, Why have we lost that? Why have we lost that in society today, that, that whole idea that it takes a village to raise a child? Why do you think that seems to be uh, a distant memory, if you like? I fear the main reason is that Hillary Clinton said it. <laughs> I think she was the person who made the saying famous. But, um, but there's a lot of truth there's to There's a massive reality there, isn't there? That, yeah. that, that, I mean, you know, there's many things you could do in a small town that you can't do now because you realise, you know, our modern cities are zoos. You know, I remember vividly, this is a bit sad story, right? I don't know if I, I might have actually put it in the new edition, but, you know, driving through Sydney um, one night on a Friday night and stopping, as you, you know, on a cross street on George Street at the, at the traffic lights there. And there's these 13 and 14 year old girls there, sort of with boys all over them, you know, just sort of outside a pub. And I'm thinking to myself, where are your fathers? Mm -hmm. Do your fathers love you this little that they, they let you get involved in sort of this sort of nonsense carry on? And, um, and it's, you know, our cities are zoos. And if you don't really look after your kids, then you get what you ask for. It's very sad. There's a hard truth there, absolutely. Based on that, you, you, um, you did a lot of research and, and all that experience. This book is quite interesting. You've got four parts to the book. Um, if I could use this opportunity to break open some of these parts, I'll just list them now and then maybe we can dive into uh, part one. But the part one, you start with parenting foundations. Uh, part two, you go into good habits, the building blocks of character. Part three, forging good habits. And then part four is raising teenagers with strength of character. And you've got all the different chapters and, and topics that go within that. But could, could we start um, with the beginning? It's quite interesting. The Parenting Foundations, what, what's behind that? And, uh, and what could you say, um, give us some real practical yeah, tips? Because, yeah. Thanks, Shabil. Because the book is about raising kids with character, then the, the obvious question there initially is, well, what's character? Mm -hmm. and, um, and the approach that the book takes, the approach that the schools have taken, the approach that I think is by far the most um, by far the most sensible and effective way of talking about character is to talk about virtues in the sense that Aristotle and Aquinas talked about virtues. Um, 
and if you'll give me just two minutes to map this out a little bit because I think it's really important um, and it's and it's almost lost wisdom now. People talk about virtues as if it's a long wish list of qualities that you want to raise in children and that's missing the point. Um, um, and it wasn't until Aquinas got Aristotle's understanding of virtue as good habits and as human beings we need habits of behaviour, we don't want just ideals. You know, we've all got nice intentions to get up in the morning but it doesn't mean we get up in the morning, we might hit the snooze button. Um, so we've got to actually turn our good intentions into, into behaviours and that's what habits are. But then Aquinas realised that you need a really strong psychology, you need a good anthropology behind this. So then he realised that, yep, as Aristotle said, we have, an, we have a rational nature, so we have a capacity to think in terms of abstracts and cells, you know, really strong ideals, and we also have our appetites where we get drawn into things that we really desire and we also um, are prepared to do difficult things to chase important goals. So think of a lion chasing an antelope, you know, it's not, it's not the easiest way to get your breakfast cornflakes, but that's what he does, right? He does something difficult because he realises there's a reward at the end of it. So Aristotle realised that we need good habits in each of our main areas, domains of action. So we need a good habit in order to do things that are difficult, to overcome our fear of discomfort. We need a good habit in terms of managing our desire for pleasure because otherwise our impulses take over. We need a good habit in terms of setting goals for ourselves and living in reality because some people just kid themselves. But then Aquinas' genius was that he realised we need a good habit in our will. And, and Aristotle didn't understand about the will very well. And what Aquinas was able to add to the equation was that that's where justice fits. Justice is the quality where we truly give importance to every single other person in our lives, that, that we have a duty, you know, that if we're going to love others, we have to treat them well at all times. We have to think more about them than we think about ourselves. We have to be truly generous. We have to honour people with our punctuality, with everything, right? Um, so once you put those four domains of action together, you get the four cardinal virtues. And with those four cardinal virtues, you have the box that you need to handle everything that comes at you in life. And you add, of course, you know, Aquinas also said, grace builds on nature. So if you have a strong human character, then afterwards faith can, can take root and faith can inform your goal setting and your reality, which is really important. And, of course, love can inform your relationship with other people, as in love of God can be the underpinning of, of our will which is exactly what Aquinas said. So, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a massively profound vision of what human beings are and what it takes for human beings to, to flourish. And essentially we're losing it. I mean, you, you know, Mark, you would have grown up in the school where every week there was a, a motto and the motto focused on a, on a virtue every week. Um, but those virtues are not random things. In the end, you can group all of the virtues under those four headings. And you can see that this is being somewhat watered down and lost in our society because even Martin Seligman with his positive psychology and everything comes up with seven virtues, you know what I mean? He loses the anthropology behind it, which is a bit of a sad thing. Um, you can sort of map them more or less. But, of course, once you start mapping them, you start to forget that all of our interactions with others have to be guided by justice and love. These are not just added little extras that at times you act justly or at times you act with love of others. This has to inform everything we do. And I hope that comes through very clearly in the book. You mentioned there the mottos from when uh, back when I was at school here, and we did. We had the weekly motto, um, different levels, uh, uh, like a rhyming motto for the primary, and then just a more a short, sharp reflection verse to consider uh, through the secondary years. But it goes to the to the value of actually reflecting on this regularly. It's not just something you read about and put the book down and then go and live it. It's something you have to keep coming back to, isn't it? And even really good point. Even with um, the school itself, Redfield College, where where you were headmaster and where I attended, even the, the crest itself has the four bars on the crest that represent the four cardinal virtues. So it's actually there in your face every day and, and we were constantly reminded of it. Yeah. We had, I don't know if you were at the school assembly, we had John Fay when he was, a, was it when he was the Premier. So this is a long time ago, come and visit the school and give out awards to the, to the students who have involved, been involved in community service. And there was a young guy who was who was running the assembly, who was the school captain or the, or the future school captain, I think he was in year 11 at the time. 
And John Fay asks him, and what are the four bars that go down vertically on the shield? And, and the student says straight away, you know, prudence, justice, temperance, fortitude, yeah, full marks. And then he says, and what are the three stars that are on a band across diagonally? And straight away, the student says, faith, hope, and charity. And I think John Faye still thinks those three stars mean faith, hope, and charity, but they don't. <laughs> those three stars are parents, teachers, and children. That's right, yeah. It's quite funny. But, and um, I, I was actually there. At, I was there at that point in time. So there you go. I do remember. I, I don't mean I don't remember it to that detail, but I do remember John Faye being there. So. That was great. No, that was, that was, that was amazingly providential, that, because we've been going down um, uh, doing some work at the local nursing home because, just, I mean, it, it comes through in the book, but it's so important to make sure that your kid is not just doing things for other people, but they're discovering the joy that comes from doing things for other people because joy is the motivator. And, and you know, I mean, one of the most important lessons is don't, don't just tell your kids to do stuff. Do it with them and show the joy that you get when you do stuff with them that's really good. I mean, we talk about raising kids so that they love all that is good, true and beautiful. Well, they know what's good, true and beautiful because of the joy it gives you. And then from the joy it gives you, they learn that, oh, no, I really enjoy this, you know. Why do so many of the great sportsmen in our society play the same game that their father taught them, you know, because, because they saw how much joy it gave their dad. It's very interesting. And I know, Charvel, you can probably speak to that as well, but I, I can definitely speak to that, is when you you have your kids uh, do an activity and that they can really enjoy it, but they enjoy it so much more when they're doing it with you. So there's such value in that too. Absolutely. I want to um, uh, maybe you, you just sort of, you said the list there, the four cardinal virtues. Uh, could we just uh, list them again, but maybe just a quick snapshot of what they are. Many people may Good. Uh, not understand Good. them. I'm very glad that we're spending a little bit of time on this. Yes. So, um Again, there's, there's two of the cardinal virtues which are about managing our emotional responses. And if we can manage our emotional responses, we think clearly. The two that manage the emotional responses are temperance and fortitude. So temperance is about managing our desire for pleasure and fortitude is about putting up with difficulties for a good reason, so managing our fears. And it's amazing. You go to a modern psychology book and they talk about how the basic motivators in human life are pain and pleasure, and that's exactly what Aristotle said two and a half thousand years ago. And he said you need, therefore, a really good, a really good habit of managing your desire for pleasure and managing your readiness to put up with pain. Otherwise, you just go with the flow. And then once you manage those emotions, and that's where justice and prudence can kick in of prudence to sound judgment but you know i mean you know we've just gone through the we've just gone through this saga of of three court cases that finally reversed the decision on cardinal pell right mm. and you realize that people can live in in an in an unreal world they can kid themselves about the truth and um and the the virtue where we want to live in reality we don't want to just give ourselves false reasons for things that's that's sound judgment it's the capacity to live in reality, set goals for ourselves and have a good conscience. So that's prudence. And then justice is the virtue whereby every choice that we make is not self-centred. Obviously, at times we've got to do our own goals. We've got to take ourselves off to school or university or something. But where we start infringing on the rights of others, we've got to pull ourselves back. We cannot act in a self-centred or self-serving way. And that's what justice is. It's not just about paying taxes. Brilliant. Did you touch on this in the book? Uh, do you go through Absolutely. the... Absolutely, yeah. The, third, the second section is all about, or the, the second or the third section is all about what are the cardinal virtues. I think it's the second section. Yeah, excellent. And then the third, is that the third section is in detail about how to build virtues, how to foster them, because obviously um, it's not just a matter of inculcating things in kids. In the end, virtues enable us to act freely, to think for ourselves. So... That's why the teenager section of the book is so important that, that if we want teenagers to be able to, think to make the right choices when they're 13, then it means that we've got to start that job earlier. You can't just suddenly say, oh, we're going to change that when, when you're somewhere 13. Um, think of, you know, that really tough stories in our society, aren't there? I mean, um, you know, there's plenty of stories now about kids who, when they were 13 or 14, they took an excellent day life if it didn't kill them out. And um, so kids in our society now are being asked to make choices which are, can be life and death choices when they're 13 and 14, you know. Um, 
you know, supposedly one of the complainants in the Cardinal Pell case was doing marijuana, so was doing was doing heroin when he was in year eight. I mean, poor kid. I mean, a kid wow. who's doing heroin when he's in year eight, what does this mean? You know, I mean, how can a person think straight at that stage of their life? Well, particularly if they haven't been raised to think straight. Done in childhood, so that teenagers don't get themselves in enormous problems. Yeah, so true, so true. Um, let, let's talk about this parenting foundation section a bit more. There's a, there's quite a few ideas you've got. Creating unity in the home. Um, yeah. what, what are you? you know, that's such an just that line alone. Uh, what, what are you getting at there? Um, unity in the home. Um, I, one thing you probably noticed about the book. I love quotes. Yeah. So there's plenty of quotes from yeah. everyone from Aristotle to John Paul II to, Fantastic. to, to whoever I can find something who said something good. Um, but there's lots of stories as well. And um, so I've got to start, I've got to give you a story on this one, which you've probably heard, but it's a cracker of a story. And this is a very good friend of mine, and Mark know, may know who it is, but I'm not going to say again names. But um, he's travelling home. He's travelling home. He's a very forthright character. And he's travelling home in the car with his 10-year-old son. And his 10-year-old son says to him, Dad, it's Valentine's Day. Are you stopping to get flowers for Mum? And Dad says to his son, he's, he's, he, Dad's quite forthright and his son is his father's son, so his son's very forthright as well. And Dad says to his boy, I don't believe in all that commercial nonsense. And then his boy says to him, Dad, it's not what you believe in. It's what Mum likes. So he stops. He gets the flowers. He has the humility to talk about it at work the next day. They had a great night. He realised he made a mistake. He shouldn't have acted so, you know, possibly he got the flowers and he was telling everybody at work the next day, I got that. <laughs> but in the end, you've got to invest, don't you, in your, in your relationship? You've got to invest. And there's all the good, you know, all the best research says you've got to, you know, the best, you know, there was a great book that came out of the States years and years ago called um, Back to the Family. And it was, it was a beautifully researched book. Basically, it was interviewing the, um, it was interviewing the teacher of the year in the fifty states and asking each of those teachers who have been the best families that you have ever worked with. And then the interviewer went and interviewed the families. So it was a way of getting the best parenting advice that he could get his hands on, and. One of his conclusions was the best thing that a father can do to raise his family well is to love the mother of his kids. Wow. The best thing you can do to be united. There's a great quote in the book from, from Homer. Homer and the Odyssey and the Iliad, in a sense, they're like the Bible for the ancient Greeks. You know, they, they used it to get all their sort of um, moral wisdom and obviously we get more than moral wisdom from the Bible, but that's what they look to the, to the great poetry for. And, and at one stage, Homer says, there is nothing better in this world than that a man and woman be of one mind. Nothing better. And that's 3,000 years ago. Nothing's changed. This is human nature. That's the other thing that comes through in the book, isn't it, that, that we're talking about human nature where what was true then is true now. And a lot of things change in our world, but, but human beings still need the same things to flourish, you know. Possessions don't make us flourish. Possessions just mean we want more. Big issue. Um, somebody, I was at a wedding the other day, and um, this delightful, the, the father of the groom is a delightful Indian Singaporean, Singaporean doctor. And he said to me, you know, all the terrible things in our world come back to the three Ps. What's that? <laughs> and then he says, if we if we go after possessions, power, or pleasure as our priorities, then our lives come unstuck. I thought, hmm, I like that. We've got to put people first. We can't we've got to put people first. Love is the most important thing in, in our lives. And if we don't Fourth raise pee, so to speak. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> if, you if you don't raise your kids to, to love others, then you know, we're setting them up to fail. It's too easy. And actually, that's interesting because, Charvel, you recently interviewed um, Steve Ray on this very podcast yes. and he said the same thing. The best thing he can do for his kids is to, to love their mother. And, uh, yeah, and that's it. I think it's in this world at the moment, it is time we need to start reminding ourselves of these things because the world's forgotten that. It's, it's so clear. It makes so much sense when you think about it. 
but the world's forgotten. Chabelle, did you bring Steve Ray to Redfield? Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, we brought I remember him. that. It was a wonderful talk. And one of the th- th- I only remember one thing that he said, that, that, <laughs> that talk, but it was, uh, I'll never forget it, and it's in the book, I think. Oh, wow. He said, um, he said children love what their parents love. Yeah. So if, if we demonstrate by our actions, by our deeds, by our faces, that we love our faith, then our kids will, will, will pick up our faith wholeheartedly. If we demonstrate with our faces particularly that we great, get great joy from, from, from family, from, you know, you walk in the door after work at night and the first thing you do when you see your loved ones is beam, well, it's better, yeah. better than a lecture. You know, the one thing I, the thing I remember from that presentation, the topic was raising a Catholic family and okay. Steve was there with Janet, his wife. But the, the funny thing about it and the topic being family, throughout that presentation, one of the children from one of the audience members was crawling up and behind the banner that Steve was standing in front of. <laughs> constantly see this banner flapping back and forth because the kid was playing with it. But Steve was the trooper. He went on and kept going. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's a, what a great point. Um, what you what you show, what what your face says. Your face says a lot, and uh, we joked about it just this week. My little two year old, um, you know, can you do your angry face? And we do an angry face, and she copies. And then you, can you do a happy face? And she changes. Um, but how they mirror you, and uh, yeah, what what you bring, what energy you bring home from work is yeah. going to reflect and set the tone for that evening, isn't it? Yeah. In the in this revised edition, I've really worked that content up. I think it's very, very important. The idea of our emotional example, and and you know, it's not you know, emotional example and emotional education is it's a bit of a catchphrase in many places. You know, we talk about emotional intelligence. We talk about positive psychology and all this sort of stuff. But nobody's talking about the importance of your emotional example. It's quite interesting. Wow. I think it's a it's a little bit of a little bit of a blind spot because. Your face is giving your kids the guidebook to what's important in life. By the joy that you get from, from people, from activities, from specific things you're doing with your kids, your kids realise those things are really important. And if something makes you sad, then your kids realise, oh, gee, that's important. So it's ridiculous. If we get sad because somebody scratched the car, then suddenly we're learning kids that scratching the car is the worst thing possible that could happen in the world, you know what I mean? You know, we give kids all sorts of bad signposts. We have to make sure that our emotions, we're in control of our emotions and that those are a guidebook for our kids about what's good, true and beautiful. Does that make sense? That, that's powerful. Yeah, I absolutely. think you can also see that in ourselves and, and, mm. and things that even our own parents have placed importance in. We feel a sense of importance to that as well. And, and if you reflect, it's not necessarily probably the best thing to place importance in but you can see that 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 does pass on and you can see even myself in my own parenting of my children i can see traits from my parents coming out in what i do um and and yeah i I think i can relate with that yeah 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 um funny stories i love your stories about your little one charbel because um uh i had there are some other stories i think they're in the book too but um one 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 of the guys I was working with once, his, his little daughter came up to him and said, Daddy, I know what you love. And he sort of puffs out his chest and thinks his daughter's going to tell him that he loves his wife or something. And he says, and she says, Daddy, you love to put your feet up on the couch, to turn on the television, watch cricket and drink beer. That's the way, that's the way she summed her, her father up. <laughs> it was a real wake-up call. It was beautiful. Oh. Another, another poor dad got a wake-up call because um, the daughter drew this smiley face, you know, just a circle with two dots and a big smile, and said, Mummy, that's you. And then Daddy says to the daughter, draw me. So she draws him and it's two dots and a frown. Wow. Oh. Yeah, he's home. Anyway, hit home because he told me about it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is a classic. These things, uh, what what the kids see us, uh, the children are looking at mum and dad. Are we giving them our attention? Are we looking into this? And I know that, that can be a weakness of mine. Uh, and, and when they are trying to get your attention and your your head is in, in your device, whatever yeah. it is, yeah. it's a real eye-opener. Uh, yeah. You deal with that a little bit in the book. Um, yeah. The, I, tried, I tried to bring up the whole issue of, um, raising your kids to have good um, self-control in terms mm-hmm. of technology, not just from the point of view of 
you know, there's a lot of stuff out there about having net nannies and about, you know, what age do you give your kids phones and stuff like this. And clearly you don't, you can't put a smartphone in the hands of your kids until you know they have the self-control use properly. That's, it's incumbent on you as a parent not to put your kid into danger. So that's your duty, not to, not to allow them to walk into a minefield until, until they know where to step. Um, but it goes further than that because, um, you know, every parent has to be talking to their kids about this stuff. Every single parent in our society has to be talking about where the kids are going on the net and stuff like this. Um, you have to be in the game, you know. I mean, so many kids at the moment, you know, are, 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 are speaking more frankly with their peers than they are with their own parents. Why is that? You know, I mean, in the end, if we're not close to our parents, it, the parents are out of the game. So one of the things I'm, I, I'm trying to really put the finger on in this book is that if you want to be able to raise your kids so that they use technology well, certainly you have to raise them so that they get in danger, but ultimately they're going to have to make their own decisions, and that means you have to keep educating them. So you have to be in the game and you have to be talking to them deeply as they grow up. Um, one of the references in this book is, a, is another book by a guy called Jared O'Shea, which yes. is a marvellous book um, called As I Have Loved You. And it's, it's the best resource I know for raising kids um, with a deep sense of love and responsibility with respect to sex education. Um, and it's based on weekly conversations between parents and kids from the stage of adolescence right through to 16. Um, it's, a, it's a book full of wisdom, so I'd really recommend that. And that's excellent. I like how you said that. It's it's a series of talks, isn't it? Uh, uh, we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as parents thinking, preparing for that day when I share the birds and the bees with my children and they yeah. sort of put all that pressure. It's it's that one conversation. Well, it, it shouldn't have to be one conversation. It should be a series. And it, it won't be very effective if it is. No, that's, that's right. That's right. Oh, good point. C- can we dive into part two uh, and break okay. open a bit more good habits the building blocks of character. Um, you sort of touched on what a habit is, but but um, the importance of this, there's some real practical um, uh, tips here for, for us parents um, to gain from this section. Uh, good habits and parenting. Can we, can we dive into a bit more of this? Sure. So um, I suppose the first thing we need to have clearly is that virtues are habits, mm-hmm. and that's why I keep talking about habits, but habits are built by repetition. So it's the job of each parent to try to set their kids up with guided practice by coaching them, by helping them have routines, have jobs, have timetables, where they're doing things regularly because doing things in part of the whole work idea on what happens in our brains is based on plasticity in the brain and the fact that repeated behaviours create pathways of behaviour in the brain. Um, um, they call it use-induced plasticity. So the more you do something, the stronger that pathway of action becomes, whatever it is. And that's true for that plasticity in the brain is ubiquitous. So it's true for impulses. It's true for the way we manage our fears. It's true for our developing empathy and compassion for others and our effort to be generous. And it's true also for the way we set ourselves goals, that all of these things improve practice. And it's quite important for us to think strategically. I mean, I want my child to have all of these qualities. Am I giving them practice in all of these areas? Are they getting practice to manage their fears or are they just doing things that are too comfortable all the time? Are they, am I giving them practice to make sure that, um, that, that, that they experience no when there is a good reason? Um, you don't just say no to your kids for the sake of saying no, but you say no when there's a good reason. So you have to explain to them without getting caught in the big dialogue. I mean, no, it's time for dinner or no, it's time to go to bed so that they realise there's always a reason when you say no. I think that's quite important um, because after they will have to give themselves a reason and that Aristotle talking. He says, you expect children to be obedient when they're small because they're being obedient to your wisdom. Later they will have to, they will have to be obedient to their own wisdom. Interesting. Wow. Well, just on nice. an extension to that, um, you're saying you've got to give them the reason. Um, I think it's also very powerful to um, when you say they can't do something, 
for whatever reason, tell them what yeah. they can do. Good. Good. You're not actually yeah. saying, no, you can't, because then that's just a, that's a negative interaction. If you say, you can do this, or you, you're giving them a positive alternative. It's interesting, isn't it? There's two things here. One is, in order to manage our impulses, we have to say no to ourselves. Mm-hmm. But in order to manage our fears, we have to say yes to ourselves. Say, mm-hmm. yes, I can do this. You know, it's quite interesting. So, you know, you have to say yes to your kids a lot, but it's yeah. about overcoming their inactivity or their fears or their lack of, you know, lack of confidence or their love of comfort or something, you know, so that they can, no, you can do this. No worries. Go for it. Interesting problem. Yeah. Very good. The way you end this section um, and you go through the four powers, um, foundational habits for happiness, um, and the way you've listed them here, sound judgment, responsibility, self-control, fortitude. So there's those those um, virtues you talk about. Um, and you throw in there the importance of a spiritual dimension. Yeah. Could you touch on that? Yeah. Um, this book primarily is about building character. It's mm-hmm. not about building um, the it's about building the foundations for faith, but it's not about imparting faith. And that's really another book that I've that is actually with the publisher at the moment. Okay. Um, but uh, nevertheless, all the best literature on what it takes for a person to flourish in this world requires them to be outward looking, to be grateful, to be to be conscious that this world is a gift to us. That. Um, I mean, it's it's a basic teaching of, of the Book of Wisdom and St. Paul, isn't it, that basically you look around you and you realise God exists simply because mm-hmm. the world is so beautiful and, and this didn't come, this didn't pop into existence, right? I mean, this is, uh, it's obvious it's come from somewhere. Um, so, you know, some of the, if we want to have a, what are the prerequisites for having a spiritual sort of depth in our soul is that we, one, that we're grateful people that we truly are grateful, that we don't just think we're the centre of the universe and everybody owes me something, you know. Um, yet this sense of entitlement is a big issue in our society at the moment, you know. Um, that's one big one. Um, and it's a de facto thing. I mean, Australians are always very pragmatic, aren't they? So, you know, it's a pragmatic sort of sense of entitlement where we just make ourselves the centre of our world. We just don't, you know, our thoughts revolve around us, our actions and weekends revolve around ourselves. What we're going to do with our money revolves around my own plans. You know, it doesn't just revolve. You know, I don't. I don't think too much about being generous. All those things ultimately um, lead to a life that's very self-centered, and and where there isn't much gratitude, and there's no scope whatsoever for a spiritual dimension. And it's ridiculous then to try and inculcate in a young person a love of a Catholic faith if they're growing up in a home where everybody is centered. Yeah, fantastic. Now, very important points. Um, that the the way you uh, you then move into part three, if I can, and, and I just want to try and there's so much here, but forging good habits. Now it's um it's not just talking about habits. How do we for how do we make them? How do we and it's the repetition you talked about. Um, how do we raise children who take control of their own lives? And that's a, a really uh, important point. Um, yeah, um, and it's you know, it comes back a lot of the things that you can see the subtext there is. If we can manage our emotional life, mm-hmm. then we can think clearly. But thinking clearly alone is not enough. Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin thought clearly. Mm-hmm. But we have to put others first. This is just crucial. You know, so if we don't have a very strong sense of justice and a very strong um, charity that is giving form to all of our actions, then in the end we won't be worth very much. You know, it's very sad. Um, we have to work on. We have to work not just on managing our own emotional life, but afterwards orienting ourselves towards others, um, and that means also emotionally orienting ourselves towards others, because because um, uh, because justice also as a moral virtue plays into our emotional life as well. So we need to make sure that we're you know we're compassionate, we're we're showing empathy, we're we're listening with care to people that we genuinely take interest in people, that, that when people talk to us, we look at them, you know. I mean, all these sorts of things which, which come down to putting other people first um, also have dimensions in temperance and fortitude, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah you, you, um, you've got quite a, quite a few areas you touch on. Um, not only uh, do we want to forge good habits, we've got to be careful not to let the bad habits um, creep in and accumulate. And uh, how, how do we... 
what are you doing there? So, self-reflection, self-checking. What, what do we talk about here? How do we overcome okay. these bad habits? Let's talk about two types of bad habits. Yeah. Um, there's, the, there's the thoughtless bad habit, which is oh, I just never managed to get up. I just never managed to get up on time or I just I'm so messy. You know, I wish I wasn't so messy. So there's this, there's the bad habit where we wish we were different, and that's pretty wholesome in a good sense, right? But there's the bad habit where we're very happy to be messy, and that's the way I am. Wear it, you know. Don't expect me to change. That sort of attitude is much more pernicious than than a habit that you wish you were developing, but you just it just seems beyond me at the moment, you know. So think of a man who loses his temper with his kids. Uh, if he wishes he didn't lose his temper with his kids, it's a thousand times better than saying, well, that's the way I am and these kids have got to grow up. Because yeah. that sort of hard-nosed attitude is, 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 is teetering towards vice. Vice is complacently doing what's wrong. Whereas, you know, everyone's got bad habits, but we want to change to be better. We don't want to just say no no that's the way i am and take me as a take me or leave me you know i mean no we've got to we've got to be want to be that we've got to want to be the best person we can we can be and you want to raise your kids so that they aspire to be the best they can be mm. that's brilliant it's countercultural, isn't it i mean we, we hear in all these advertisements about just be yourself and and uh, let let people just accept you who you are but it's discovering who are we actually and who are we meant to be uh, okay. and being the best we can be version of yourself but there's a lot that's in it. that it's nice. It's a good yeah. idea. Uh, can we touch while we're in this section and um, discipline? Uh, a common thing. Do you talk about um, h how do we treat discipline, punishing kids and, and teaching them and appropriate yeah. things to do or, or I mean, tips and strategies? Correction is important, right? I mean, we all, we all need to be pulled up at times, but how we get pulled up depends on our temperament. Mm -hmm. Some people you can pull up quite abruptly and, and they wear it, but other people you can't pull up abruptly. They 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 brood for weeks. So, <laughs> so you've got to somehow manage this, right? Um, um, the most successful discipline is calm. The most successful discipline uh, helps the person address the consequences of their actions. I'm stating the obvious things, right? But um, you know, rather than have some sort of, and I suppose another good rule of thumb is that there shouldn't be consequences that were not foreseen. So, you know, if you say to a child, look, you really do need to eat all of your Brussels sprouts <laughs> because only when you finish your last Brussels sprout does the ice cream come out. So they know what the deal is. Maybe in the end they have to go without ice cream a couple of times, that's fine, and you do it as calmly as possible and put up with the tantrum as calmly as possible. Mm -hmm. But... But in the end, um, um, we, the more calm we are, the more the consequences are already flagged and they're obvious consequences of, you know, well, we can't, you know, if, you, if you're not going to finish the main course, obviously there's no point in putting dessert in front of you because there's food still to be eaten. You know, we're not going to waste food or whatever it is. Um, um, fussiness is an issue with kids. Um, it's an interesting problem. Um, why are kids fussy? I remember having vivid conversation with, with one dad who was a friend and, I said, mate, your son's a bit fussy, isn't he? He said, no, he's not. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. And he was uh, fussy. He was very fussy. Um, uh, but, a bit, you know, we have our rose-coloured glasses on, maybe because we're a bit fussy or something, you know. Um, um, why is fussiness an issue? I mean, you know, within reason, obviously, you don't want to be so draconian that kids can't make choices. But why is fussiness an issue? Because it's, it's not managing to fear our dislike of things to manage our, our fear of dislike of things. You know, in the end, we're, we can't eat an extra Brussels sprout. How are we ever going to be able to jump in front of a bus and help somebody who's dying, you know? I mean, what do you do, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, in the kids' defence, Brussels sprouts aren't great. <laughs> oh, I remember I remember wanting to throw up uh, having so many when I was growing up. But, uh, um, but you get over it and eventually you just learn to the good thing about being grow, parent, don't you? And <laughs> the good thing about being the parent is you're in a position where you can find an alternative. <laughs> absolutely. Pick your battles. You don't need to fight every That's absolutely for sure. Uh, Sorry, this is not a book about why you should give kids Brussels sprouts. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> now, there is a, 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 a the, the last section here, part four, 
raising teenagers with strength of character. And it's almost interesting how you, you're building up to this and uh, can you unpack there's so much you co cover into, um, my goodness, uh, si you touch on cyber savviness, uh, you touch on sexuality, you touch on courage. Um, Let's talk about courage for a minute. Yes, um, please. Um, what, do we use, what do we use our courage for? What do adults mm. use their courage for? We use our courage to pursue difficult things, to chase the antelope. So what's the antelope for us? You know, sometimes the antelope for us is, is something which is a very self-serving goal. You know, it's, it's to be more successful, to have more possessions, to have a, have a newer car, to, um, to be more well-known, to, um, to have people talk about me, stuff like this. I mean, in the end, we can invest all of our courage, all of our fortitude for self-serving goals. That's a disaster. Mm. <laughs> what we want to do is invest our fortitude in the service of justice and truth. You look at, you know, I mean, one of the things that I, I touch on it in the book, but not directly, in, um, but I've given some talks in the last couple of years about um, raising young people to put their courage at the service of truth and then looking at a lot of case studies of people in, in you know, in the last 20 or 30 or 40 years who have been courageous in, in doing what they thought was important. Um, you know, everyone got that image in their face, in their memory of the, of the tank man standing in front of the line of tanks. Mm -hmm. The guy, he's got his shopping bags in his hand and suddenly he's standing in front of a line of tanks. He's, he's gone shopping. He's gone down to Woolworths in Beijing. He's walking back from Woolworths and then there's this line of tanks coming in and he knows that that line of tanks are going to Tiananmen Square and he knows that yesterday people died in Tiananmen Square. So he stands in front of the tanks and the tank tries to go around him and he moves there's a video of it, and he moves to stop the tank going around him. Um, enormously brave, uh, incredibly courageous. Um, after about five minutes of bluffing the tanks, somebody comes from the side and arrests him, and he was never seen again. Whoa. I mean, it's, it's tough, right? But, but also that man was courageous. And he realised that sometimes you've got to do things that are a little bit dangerous because there's something big at stake. And he's given the world this example, right? And this example is viral and billions and billions of people have seen that image now, right? Um, um, so what are you raising? You know, are you raising your kids, one, to be courageous, but two, to use their courage to do good? Because if they don't use their courage to do good, it's a waste of, you know, it's, it's basically totally self-centred. Um, we've got to do better than that. And, you know, I love those stories, for example, of Mark, I don't know in history if you did anything about the White Rose Movement, for example, in Germany, right? But the White Rose Movement were these, were these guys who were 19 and 20 who decided that they, they, they knew the truth about Hitler because one of them was a, was a training soldier. He'd been, in, he'd been on the Russian front. He'd seen, he'd seen what had happened uh, in terms of the extermination of the Jews on the way over to Russia. So he came back as a young medic and he said to his sister and he said to a few of the other friends that he had, we've got to do something. And they started pamphleting against the Nazis. And as a consequence, um, they, they put thousands and thousands of pamphlets in, in, in eight or ten cities of Germany and really spread the truth about what Hitler was doing. They gave their lives for it. But you realise that's putting... That's putting fortitude at the service of truth and justice i'm not saying that all kids are going to get that opportunity or should do that but 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 there's a far cry between that and just using our fortitude to you know to get a faster car you know we've got to do better than that yeah very very and you hear you hear so many stories like that of people that uh uh so maximilian Kolbeg, for example um putting his life in the place of of the the man who would be executed and, and taken from his family and and you hear stories like that all the time and and when we reflect on those stories we um i mean how many times have we found ourselves saying i could never do that but in hearing another one and hearing another one and seeing another one and reflecting on it we pray that if we're ever in that position and god willing we aren't but at the same time god willing we are um in, in a strange sort of way that we can actually make the right choice and it's not just about having to give our lives, obviously. Um, I've been reading about Caroline Chisholm recent, recently, right? By the time Caroline Chisholm was, was mid-30s, she had two children and she had started a school in India for poor children of expats or children of poor expats. And then she came to Australia 
And then within two more years, she had been to the governor. She'd made friends with the governor's wife. She'd made friends with John Fairfax, who ran the paper. Um, she got a lot of public support and she had started a home for immigrant girls because she realised these immigrant girls were at risk. And then in the first two years of that home, she placed 2,000 immigrant girls in positions where they were safe and where they could progress. I mean, I, it's some, and have two more kids in the process, right? I mean, what's going on? I mean, the, obviously she's an exceptional lady, but the other side of this is that she's been raised with this fantastic vision. And it turns out that when she was a girl, she saw her father, who was not Catholic, she became Catholic, but she saw her father take in a hunted Catholic priest and give him shelter for several weeks. And she realised, wow, this is what you do, you look after people. And that left such an impression that afterwards not only did she become Catholic, but she devoted her life to, to doing these big acts of service to others. I mean, it's, I mean, it's remarkable, it's a beautiful example, right? And, you know, if we can take a little bit of it into our, into our own family, it's fantastic. So much wisdom here. We are we are running out of time. I'm sorry, um, but uh, we're coming up to uh, the hour here, and I wanted to um, uh, not let it let the opportunity pass. But yourself, you, you you've updated this book, um, and I'd like to sort of talk about what um, it says revised and, and updated. What are the things that are updated in the new edition? Yeah, I I thought you might throw that question at me. Mm -hmm. So what I've what I've introduced is. Um, I've updated the references for a start and brought in a lot of the scientific research that I was now I'm familiar with. But also I've talked about temperament. I've talked about emotional example. I've talked in more detail about how there are two key tasks in education, which is training of children in their emotional life and educating them so that they can think clearly and set goals and put others first. Um, I talk about attachment research because attachment research shows us that um, the Emotional empathy that a mother demonstrates towards a little child is so efficacious that it forms that child's capacity for a balanced adult life. So the emotional example that a mother gives to a little baby is crucial. I mean, it's, it's fascinating stuff, right? Mm. Um, also, I talk about how you've got to be close to your kids. You've got to be in the game if you want to be able to educate them in the realm of digital technology. And it doesn't mean you have to know more about Facebook than they do. It does mean, however, that they open their hearts to you and you open your heart to them. And then I, I talk in detail about this idea of, you know, how do we raise kids so that they have courage to change the world? It's it's a very important point. And, you know, the world... we. This is our turf. We need to bring the we need to bring the world in the right direction. We can't just let it go to the dogs, and it starts in our families. That's brilliant. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. There's so much you unpack so much here, and this really is a um, a guide. It really is um, a guide for any parent to be reading through. Um, I highly recommend it. This this is it's a manual basically building how to build character, how to give uh, building character in your children. I love it. It's very easy to read as well. So you, you've done a, a great job in breaking up the text. It's not just a block of text. You've got all these little uh, cartoons, which is quite funny, and tables. You've had a bit of fun. Um, really, really well done, nicely laid out, and um, I highly recommend every single parent uh, on the planet needs to read this. And, and <laughs> I'm going to take a closer look now at the new edition myself and my wife. Mark, you uh, have a go at it. And, uh, got mine in my hands as well. Ready to go. <laughs> there it is. And let's, let's see as many people doing this. I think if, if we have strong parents, we're going to have strong families, strong families, a strong society. And it's a knock-on effect, isn't it? Thanks very much, mate. Good on you. Well, th thank you so much uh, for, for staying in touch with us. Uh, the book is now available right now uh, in both the paperback and the digital version at perusiamedia.com. That's um, perusiamedia.com. And, and get your copy. And it's at an updated price as well, so only nineteen ninety nine, uh, which is, I think it's the cheapest it's been uh, for retail level um, ever. So here we go, under $20. It's well done, mate. Good work. Best $20 you can spend. So thanks for joining us, Andrew. Pleasure. And uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch. and love to have you on again uh, on the show sometime. Your pleasure. And, and just you. from my perspective, it's, it's, it's such a joy just catching up with you again. It's been a while and um, bringing back so many memories of, of the school days. But, yeah, really good to, to touch base again. Good to see you. Awesome. Make yeah. sure, guys, subscribe to the uh, podcast. 
We're on the iTunes platform. Find our website, perusiamedia.com, and click on uh, podcast, and you'll see all these shows there. And please share it among your friends as well. Thanks again. Take care. All right. God bless.